So keeping promises is kind of what we're about this series. Just as a, a bit of a reminder, we have been in a series in Isaiah. And uh, the series we've been in, Behold Your God, is sort of a prequel because now we start a series called Promises Kept in which we talk about all the things that God laid down in Isaiah 800 years before Christ that came true in the Advent. Yes, it's still November. No, it doesn't feel like Christmas. But maybe you can go home and put your... How many people got their Christmas trees up already? How about you online? Okay. So we're, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and that's what we're talking about, but in a, in a way that's a little different. Yes, we're going to go to the New Testament passages. Yes, we're going to do Luke, and we're going to do Matthew, and Mark, and Revelation, and all those places that talk about the, the reason that Jesus had to come, and that's kind of what today is about. So just as a little bit of a reminder... We've been talking in Isaiah about how God laid down things before the beginning of time. So in Isaiah chapter 6, we talked about the glory of God and how Isaiah was called as a prophet and, and the Lord said, I'm going to touch a coal to your lips because you are sinful and I am holy and, and I'm going to pronounce that you are forgiven. Glory. And then we talked about the greatness of God from Isaiah chapter 40, where we talked about comfort my people and the, and the greatness of God as He, as he showed Himself in the heavens, as he, as he measured the waters in the hollow of His hand and, and marked the heavens with a span. And then we talked from Isaiah chapter 12 uh, about the, the, the greatness and how we respond to that in gratitude. And I realize it's still kind of Thanksgiving and still kind of November and still kind of glad the relatives are gone Sunday, but it's still this, this kind of thing where we are trying to understand this arc, this, this storyline, this narrative that God has had from the very beginning of time and how that includes us as sinful as we might be. And so I want to talk about the promises uh, in the Scripture, and I kind of need to set it up because I am obviously getting older, uh, newsflash, so are you. And, and, and as each day goes by, we, we'd kind of like to know more about the future, right? We, we'd kind of like to have somebody... And those of you who are in the mortgage business or stocks, you'd really like to have somebody who could tell you exactly what's going to unfold in the future. And every now and then we get good advice, right? So Judy and I got to go see the grand boy in Dallas this week, and, and Dallas is very helpful. They've got these, these wide, wide highways and the signboards overhead that help you predict the future. We're driving under one that says, Mash potatoes, not your head. So apparently there's some activity that you do on the highway that leads you more to a head mashing than a potato mashing, and so it's good advice. Try to follow that. The next one said, gobble, gobble, stay off the throttle. Good advice as well. So I don't know, where else can I get good advice? Well, there's the 
the people that talk about the stock market, and all of us are interested in that. And, and I found a place that said the stock market is extremely volatile, unpredictable, and cyclical and nonlinear. I went, okay, a third grader could have come up with that. The, the, the stock market is notoriously unpredictable. Okay, so can't look to that for the future. Well, what about like horoscopes and tarot card readers and magic eight ball and, and fortune cookies and those kind of things? Well, it, it always occurs to me because I'm kind of suspicious. You know that I have the spiritual gift of cynicism. And that I always wonder why the tarot card readers always operate out of little shacks on the side of the road rather than an office in Wall Street, because apparently they're not very good at it. Or why the fortune cookies or the horoscopes, they're, they're so vague as to be able to describe pretty much anything that happens on any given day. And it occurs to me that if we put too much stock in fortune cookies you're not only naive, you're, you're sort of playing with fire. That when we look for anything except Scripture to predict the way things are going to turn out, we're, we're not only dabbling with foolishness, we're sort of getting into the spiritually demonic. So, what do you do with that then, right? How, how do you talk about the, the reliable prediction of the future. What does the, the Scripture have to say about it? I mean, Jesus was, was even cautious when, when people asked Him about the future. They, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, which is my sort of my uh, uh, philosophy or theology of the second coming of Christ, they asked Jesus, they said, when are you coming back? And He said, in my paraphrase, none of your business. <laughs> Only the Father knows. He knows the times. He knows the seasons. He, he knows what's going to unfold. But be very sure He has an arc. He has a, a storyline. He has a purpose. He has a plan that is from the very beginning of time and even before time began for us towards the ark where one day He will bring this whole thing to a close. And so God has in mind and he has some very strong words for those who would try to speak into the future and speak nonsense from Deuteronomy. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I've not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. So the, the idea behind a false prophet was that if something they said didn't come to pass— or if they predicted something that came to pass differently than they said, or if they don't predict something that comes to pass, if they call themselves a prophet, the sentence is death. Probably be a lot fewer little shacks on the side of the road with tarot car readers if, if that was still the thing today. Probably be a lot fewer horoscopes, a lot fewer magic eight balls, a lot fewer of those things we had in junior high school that told us who we were supposed to go out with. It'd be a lot fewer of them if the sentence was death. And the false prophet, Jeremiah, this says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy filling you with vain hopes. 
who, who say it's, it's going to get better when that's not what God said would do. One of the most famous ones in Jeremiah, we all quote it for the, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your future and not for calamity, to, to, to give you a future and a hope. But the verse right before it says, when 70 years have been completed, when, when, when ten, seven decades have passed, that's when all this stuff is going to happen. So, so instead of being all pie in the sky, things are going to get better. The Lord promises me a future and a hope. Well, there may be some hard times in between. And that's kind of what prophecy is about. That's kind of what Isaiah is about. If you remember us talking about it, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah talk a lot about how, how the, the, the cycle of, of sin and the, the cycle of disobedience and, and you know, the, the cycle of, of, of God, uh, we realize that we've done bad things and now will you help us out? Will you deliver us? Would you send help? And, and pretty much all of the Bible is this cycle of sin and pain and crying out for help, and God uh, speaks deliverance or redemption. That's kind of what Isaiah is saying. This is going to continue to happen in cycles through the end of time. But there are things that you can watch for. There are, are signals of redemption, signs of hope, things that you can keep an eye out. Peter later said, false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, denying the master who brought them. I mean, it's everywhere. So my point is that Isaiah was bold enough to speak very specific things about what would unfold as Jesus came to be. And he didn't even know that it was going to be Jesus. He was 800 years before Christ. And yet he, he just spoke what God told him to speak. He just wrote down what God told him to write down. I don't think it's a secret that Isaiah is the most complete of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Because this is a, a message that God wanted us to have. It's a, it's a prophecy. It's a, a prediction. It's, a, it's an unfolding of the way God's purpose and plan. Now, now, Isaiah gets real specific. There are 40 instances in Isaiah where he is so specific that if he was even a little bit wrong, he would be deserving of death. Now, the problem with that is that by the time most of the prophecies that he spoke came to pass, he was long gone. He, he's the long-game prophet. John MacArthur said it this way. He said, if you think about biblical prophecy, think about it this way. If you're standing somewhere, I don't know, let's say in eastern Colorado, and you're staring at the Rocky Mountains, it kind of looks like one mountain, right? Way in a distance, it kind of looks like there's one mountain. But the closer you get, the more you realize that there's lots of mountains, and there's a mountain and a valley and a mountain and a valley, and, and it, it, it's a while before you get to the mountain that you actually see from a distance because it's the one that's bigger than all the rest of them. That's kind of the way biblical prophecy unfolds. There are things that are going to happen, and for Isaiah, there were things that happened almost immediately. When he says, for unto us a child is born, there was a child born very quickly, but it also indicated a child that would be born 800 years later. So there's, there's mountains that we can see, there's valleys between them, 
And, and we all know that it's unfolding towards the, the, the major event, the biggest mountain of them all, which in the case of Isaiah would be the time that Christ returns. So I know that I've just blown your minds already. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 11, because in here, he gets really specific, not so much about the humble birth of Jesus or that he was born of a virgin, but he's talking to us about the ark of what God is doing over time, the biggest mountain of them all. So Isaiah is specific. Oops, back one. How specific can that be? I'm a geek. I get it. Follow this with me. Unique among all the books ever written, the Bible accurately foretells specific events in detail many years, sometimes centuries before they happen. So Isaiah is writing somewhere around 740 B.C., and, and, and he's writing about things that will happen almost immediately within the next hundred years, within the next 500 years, and within the very distant future, the, the future that you and I can't hardly imagine. But he's specific. 2,500 prophecies appear in the pages of the Bible, not just Isaiah, but throughout the Scripture. About 2,000 of them have already been fulfilled to the letter. No errors. The remaining 500 or so reach way into the future and may be seen unfolding as days gone by. And you're thinking to yourself, who said something this profound? Well, he goes on. Since the probability, this is how you know it's not me, for any of these prophecies having been fulfilled by chance averages less than one in ten, figured very conservatively, and since the prophecies are for the most part independent of one another, the odds that all of these prophecies having been fulfilled by chance without error is less than ten to the two thousandth power. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate how that translated on the slide, but ten to the two thousandth power, or one with two thousand zeros written after it. Oh, and who said that? A Christian who happens to be an astrophysicist. And he's going, hey, this is not random chance. I know random chance. That is my job to figure random chance. And it's a one in 2,000 power that all of the things that have already happened, the 2,000 prophecies that have already been fulfilled, it's a one in, 2000, one in 10 to the 2,000th power chance that all of these things can happen randomly, by chance, by accident. I feel good about buying a lottery ticket all of a sudden because my odds are a lot better than that. So what about Isaiah then? What is it that he's saying, particularly in this 11th chapter, that tells us about the story arc that's going to unfold? Well, first we see that God is working out of death to life. You have to kind of back up into chapter 10 because this is really cool the way he does it. In verse 33 in chapter 10, he talks about God is going to lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down. It's a forestry imagery that he's given us. He's going to cut down the thickets of the forest, and, and he's talking about the Assyrians. Now, I was reminded we have a family in our church that has Assyrian roots, and I, I need to give the full disclaimer, they're not all bad people. Okay, Assyrians can be very nice people. These people were not nice at all. These people 
attacked the northern kingdom of Israel. They enslaved the people. They deported all the ones who had money or fame or power or beauty. And the Babylonians would do the same a hundred or so years after Isaiah was dead. And so he was describing these people, groups, who came in and just destroyed Israel. And the imagery was that they cut Israel down like a tree. And all they left was a dead stump. Well, through Isaiah, God says, oh yeah? Look all the way back in, in chapter 10, in the, in the middle of the chapter, it talks about the arrogance of the kings of Assyria. And he says, you know, you are the ones that will be clear cut. You are the ones that are going to be, the, the land will be smooth. But let me tell you what's going to happen to this, this stump that is Israel that you left. Chapter 11, verse 1. There will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So obviously Jesse is the father of King David. King David was the ancestor of Christ. And so it says, out of this stump, out, you, you're going to come back six months or a year later after you've clear-cut this forest, you're going to see this ginormous stump, and out of it is going to be growing a living branch. And the prophecy, 800 years before Christ, was that out of the, the humility of Jesse, the shepherd farmer, would come a promise, would come something. That's, that's why we celebrate Christmas. That's the, the shoot of Jesse is Christ. And so then he says, you know, and I'm not just going to send him, I'm going to send my spirit. I'm going to send a, a, a reassuring presence in your life for every day because I, I, I know that your lives are, are, are not always good. I, I know that you make mistakes. I know that you need wisdom. I know that you need guidance. So I'm going to send my spirit. Verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the shoot from the stump, Jesus and it will be the Spirit, and the Spirit there is capitalized, which personifies it. it. says the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the counsel of might. And in Isaiah 9, 6, it calls Him a wonderful counselor. His knowledge, the fear of the Lord, His delight shall be in the Lord. There, there's this sense that, that we're not going to be left alone. There's a, this, this thought that, 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 yes, there is life that comes out of death, but, but even beyond that, there is a spirit that, that guides us daily, a spirit that fills us daily. And, and when I'm looking at that list in there, knowledge and might and power and fear and delight, I'm thinking about another list in the New Testament in Galatians where he says, and by the way, the fruit of that Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Uh, that there's, a, there's an ongoing life about the Spirit. It's not that God is going to just sit up in heaven or wherever He is and the earth is on His finger like a basketball and every now and then He gives it a shove. He's involved in our lives every day through His Spirit. And so 800 years before Christ, Isaiah is talking about these things. He said it, it will be a just rule. It will be a, a just kingdom. We, we hear a lot about justice and, and partiality and, and all this. Listen to what he says. Verse 3, he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. 
not by outward appearance, not by social class, not by political party, not by your money, not by your fame, not by your votes. The he, the shoot from Jesse out of life, out of death, life, the Spirit has come and, and, and this, this reign of this king will be righteous, it will be just. With righteousness he will judge the poor. He will decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. We, we get this idea that we will not have to have the word bipartisan anymore because there will be no partisan. We, we don't have to, uh, to have this sense of unfairness. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm really wired for justice. If I see somebody get cut off or somebody be abused or somebody be hurt in any way, and I'm angered at the person who abuses that power. And it says that in that day, in that as the ark of, of God's purposes are unveiled, in that day, in that time, as we look down the road, there will be justice. He says there will be peace. It's sort of a a follow-up to the same thing. Uh, there we go. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The wolf is a predator. He's one that abuses because of his power. He eats sheep because he can. Nations the same way. Persons the same way. Bosses, fathers, presidents, kings. He said those who are predators, those who act as predators, they, they will be no more. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the calf with the lion. The child shall lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young shall lie down forever. Now, this is one of those where it's a distant mountain. <clears throat> Let's not kid ourselves. None of this is going on today. There, there are predators all over the place. There are uh, people who, who exercise power because they can. There are people that abuse that power because they can. Just, just pick up a, a newspaper, if you know what that is, and look at how much there, there, there's just story after story after story where somebody abused their power just because they could. There won't be any of that. The reign of the king. This is a distant mountain. This is, this is way off. So Isaiah is not speaking about something that's going to be fulfilled in 10 years, 100 years, uh, I don't know, a thousand more years. Because this hasn't happened yet. And we, we have to know that all of the things, this is one of those 500 prophecies that has yet to be fulfilled. He says there's going to be redemption. A couple of weeks ago, I... I told you that we really can't understand Isaiah without understanding the exile. And we really can't understand the Bible unless we understand Isaiah. And so this theme of exile has run throughout human history. Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. Joseph and his family were exiled from the promised land to Egypt. The Hebrew children were exiled from Egypt to the, the wilderness where they wandered around for 40 years. The people of, of Babylon came in to exile the people of Israel. The people of Assyria came in to exile Persia, Egypt. All of them have participated in. And, and the, the takeaway is that all of us 
live as exiles. We're not where we're supposed to be. One theologian said, we are resident aliens here on earth. We're, we, we are in exile. We're not living in the promise of God like we're supposed to. Some of it by our own actions. Okay, the, the Israelites kind of had it coming to them because they, they simply refused to honor the covenant that they had with God. And as a result of that, there was just mess after mess after mess after mess. And you and I can sort of identify. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And the consequences. Well, I thought consequences. Well, I just didn't know consequences. And that's kind of the the exile that they were living in. Well, the promise here is that there will be a pathway out of that. Look at verse 12. He will raise a signal. Well, back up to verse 11. In that day, the Lord will extend His hand a second time to recover the remnant that remains. Whoever is, is believing, whoever is, is holding on, he's going to gather them together. Some say this is a, a prophecy that was filled in 1948 when Israel was once again named as a nation. And as a result, Jewish people from all over the globe begin to stream back to Israel to establish home. Maybe, maybe not. But he says the remnant of Assyria of Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath. Matthew says uh, that the gospel will be preached to all the nations and then the end will come. There's, a, there's an arc, there's a storyline where God is gathering those who would latch on to belief that He is God and that we are not, that I have sinned and I can be forgiven. He's, he's gathering that remnant. says He will raise a signal for the nations. That probably should be translated banner. He will assemble the vanished of Israel, gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. He's going to bring them all together. And he will lead them into promise. There will be a highway from Assyria. And of course, that's metaphor at the time. The picture is that the exiles have gone to Assyria and that, that, and that they will, there will be a way back. There will be a way home from exile. What does that look like? John 3. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He sent His only Son to be born as a child, raised as a man, taught as a rabbi, crucified as a traitor buried, raised on the third day, promised to return. And so there are specific promises that you can grab. Purpose, a shoot will spring up. Romans 15 says, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. He fulfilled in order to confirm the promises. And he quotes Isaiah Isaiah says the root of Jesse will come, and it's obvious that the Apostle Paul said he has come. Promise made, promise kept. Promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, God raised up. We are all witnesses. Exalted at the right hand of God. Received the promise of the Holy Spirit. You, you see it among us. He's, he's here. Promise made, promise kept. The fruit of the Spirit. I quoted it before. 
The, the evidence of the Spirit, the purpose, the, the death to life, the Spirit as presence, the promise of judgment. Revelation 19. I heard what seemed to be a loud voice. You know, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It's the, it's the description of the promises that will be fulfilled. I'm going to preach on it next fall. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of the great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For this judgment is true, just. He has judged the great prostitute who has corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged her on the blood of his servants. God is working among us. And when we celebrate Christmas, it's like a, a mile marker along the road. Eight centuries before Christ, Isaiah says, He's coming, and here is evidence of it. But don't focus on just the, the manger. I said it before, to kneel at the manger and not at the cross is to, min- is to miss the point above. And so we, we see the manger, yes, but it's, it's part of the larger arc where God in His purposes is drawing His people to Himself. It's been revealed by the Holy Spirit that He would not see death. Who? Well, this is about a guy named Simeon who was at the temple when Jesus' parents brought him to be dedicated. <clears throat> he said, he came in spirit to the temple when the parents brought the child to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, if you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, my eyes have seen your salvation. Even a prophet in the New Testament understood that everything Isaiah had said about this baby, this purpose, this time, this moment, this, this kairos of history, It was coming true then. Now, I don't know about you, but in my life, there have been challenges, disappointments. I've disappointed others, and maybe others have disappointed me. I've made some horrible decisions. I've, I would have to confess most of the sins that are described in the Bible. But through all of that, there has been this realization that God is working, right? That God is working the arc of His plan that even when I make decisions that lead me into an exile where I seem so far away from God, I can look past, present, I can look into the future and know that God is at work. Know that He has a plan. Know that when He said uh, that 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 God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, would not be separated from God. The very next verse, for He didn't come into the world to condemn it, but the world through Him would be saved. That when you and I say, okay, I've made a mess of some things, but this, this grand story over centuries, millennia, God has a plan And his plan is to draw us to himself. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw men to me. And it's quite possible that you feel like he's drawing you to himself even this morning. If you're watching online, we have an online pastor who will answer your questions. If you're in the room, we have 
greeters out in the back in green shirts or big name tags. We have a connection corner. We have pastors you can see all over the place. This is too important a conversation not to have. It's too important for you to miss the opportunity to say to God, I I have made horrible choices. I feel like I'm in exile. I want to come to you for the first time or for the first time in a long time. I want to come back to you because you have a purpose that was predicted and every part of that prediction has come true. And so if you say that you demonstrate your love for me and that while I'm still a sinner, you died for me, I want to embrace that, God. I want to grab on to that. Pray with me. Holy Father, all this prophecy stuff blows me away. The way that you love us, the way that you provide for us, you told us that you were going to send Jesus, you told us you would send the Spirit, and you did. And God, the way that you love us is just too good a story not to latch on to. And, and I pray for those who are here, Father, as they process all this. It's just a lot to think that you were this specific that long ago, and yet you see us, you measure us, you count the hairs on our head. I don't know how you do that, Father. But all these prophecies just point to you having a plan for the future and for the present. And that includes us walking with you. And I pray that if there's someone who needs to do that, begin that journey today, that this would be the day. We love you, Father. We thank you for the Christmas season. That's a reminder of your love. In Jesus' name.